0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew.
1: There's a thing in Bible study called hermeneutics, and hermeneutics is just basically uh, how to study the Bible. And there's a rule in hermeneutics called expositional constancy. And what that simply means is a big phrase that simply means this, that you have to stay consistent in Scripture so that if a word or a phrase means something clearly in one place, it's not going to mean something differently in another, that there's going to be a consistency in its application and in its meaning.
0: Chances are you've heard your fair share of people claim that the Bible is nothing more than scribbled ideas from a variety of tent dwellers. However, one of the most amazing aspects of the Bible is just how remarkably consistent it is considering all its writers. In today's message, Pastor Gary will teach you about Bible consistency and what scholars and students refer to as hermeneutics. In his study, you'll learn how to recognize patterns in Scripture that affirm and build integrity throughout the entirety of God's Word. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 13, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
1: There are seven parables that are considered kingdom parables. That is to say, that seven parables Jesus gives us in this one chapter, chapter 13 of Matthew, contains seven parables, some of them a little longer than others. Uh, there's a couple of them that's just a verse or two, uh, but Jesus teaches parables uh, concerning, particularly here in chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, kingdom things, This is not just necessarily the place of heaven, although that's part of what we consider to be the kingdom of heaven, but it's also relative to the rule and reign of Jesus in our lives every single day. That's his kingdom work in our lives. In Luke 17, Jesus was asked, when will the kingdom of God come? And he said, the kingdom of God will not come with your careful expectations. Neither will people say, here it is or there it is, for the kingdom of God is within you. There is this rulership that Jesus desires to have in the hearts of every single one of us, where he is honored and glorified as Lord of our lives, that he is not just to be our Savior, but he is also to be our Lord, that he is Lord and Savior. He's not just a ticket to heaven, but he's also the master of our lives to be lived out under his rulership as King Jesus. And in order to help us understand kingdom ideas and kingdom principles and the reality of the kingdom, he's going to give seven parables to teach us what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Now, for you note-takers, a parable is from the Greek word parabalo, and it's a combination of two words, para, meaning alongside, and balo, meaning to call. So a parable is literally a, an, a, an expression, an illustration, that is called alongside of a spiritual truth. So Jesus is going to use various... Uh, points of connection to illustrate deep spiritual truth. And so a parable, somewhat like an illustration, is thrown alongside of uh, some particular truth to communicate it in in a broader sense. And you'll notice that as Jesus teaches parables, he's also going to often use terms that would be recognizable in his day primarily because they live in an agrarian culture, a farming community, they're, they're farmers, they, they uh, tend sheep, they, they plow fields. He's going to use terms that have a lot to do with that kind of a lifestyle. It's very relative to the time in which uh, Jesus is teaching here. And so, you know, for us who are not farmers, and that's probably uh, uh, 99.9% of us, you know, these terms are kind of a throwback uh, to that very valuable profession that we all uh, are recipients of, the benefit of farming, good, hard-working farmers. My my wife's grandfather was a farmer all his life. That was his livelihood, and so we thank God for the farmers in America who do all the hard work, and then we just reap the benefits of it. But here Jesus is speaking in large part to a farming community, to people who were more familiar with tending sheep and and the goats, and livestock, and plowing fields, and planting, and sowing, and reaping. That's going to be a lot of the language that he uses here. And last week, we talked about the first of the seven. We talked about the parable of the sower, and that's uh, from verse uh, 1 down through verse 9. Jesus actually interprets this. There will be three out of the seven parables that Jesus himself interprets, and two of them are because his own disciples ask him. You know, they privately pull him aside. I get this picture that sometimes when Jesus is on a roll with parables, that the disciples are kind of on the the border of... Of the, of the crowd, and they're going, mm-hmm, yeah, amen, preach it, Jesus. And then as they get along with Jesus, they're like, we don't understand a word you said. Could you please communicate that to us in simple language? Because that's what they do. They come to him and they ask, what, what exactly did that mean back there? But they don't want to show their ignorance when they're with the crowds. They're playing it cool. It's like, yeah, we get this. Isn't he a good teacher? And people might even ask, what does all this mean? You know what? It's deep. It's profound. <laughs> Think about it. Pray on it. Jesus, what in the world did that mean? And so that's what you see happening here. Now, the parable of the sower, again, there's there's different interpretations about the parable of the sower. And I come down on the side of this is a parable more about fruitfulness than it is salvation. And uh, we talked about what hinders fruitfulness. And Jesus is going to, when he interprets between verses 18 and 23, he, he talks about three things that, that tend to hinder fruitfulness. And that would be the devil. Number two, trouble or persecution. And number three, the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And uh, out of the four soils in the parable, uh, three have their fruitfulness hindered, uh, either because the devil is actively pursuing to keep us from being fruitful or trouble and persecution and and living out your, your faith in this world will incur some measure of difficulty and trouble, and there's hardship. And sometimes those kind of hardships and trials end up interrupting people's relationship with the Lord, and they're not very fruitful. And and then the third is this idea of the worries of life begin to crowd in uh, like weeds, uh, the deceitfulness of wealth, not wealth itself. There's nothing wrong with wealth, but the deceitfulness of it, the deceitfulness as in, I'll be happier if I just had more money, those kinds of things Uh, come in, crowd out our relationship with the Lord, and cause us to not be fruitful. The only one out of the four that is fruitful here is uh, verse 23, where Jesus says, But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. So that was the parable of the sower, and that's where we ended last week. So we're here in verse 24, and it's entitled, The Parable of the Weeds. The Parable of the Weeds. Now, not the kind of weeds that some of you smoked back in the 80s. Uh, This is the parable of the weeds, as in things that grow up uh, unnaturally. If you have a King James Bible, uh, this will be called Parable of the Tares. Parable of the Tares. So this is the second on the list, and Jesus is also going to, good for us, he's going to interpret... Uh, This parable as well, uh, further on in the passage, but let's read first what he says. So verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First, collect the weeds, and tie them in bundles to be burned then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn now again jesus is going to interpret this further down but let's just kind of set the tone and understand some significant things about this parable here comes a farmer and he's and he's sowing a man who sows good seed in the field uh, it's good seed there's nothing corrupt about the seed and the seed grows but among the wheat that he that he is sowing grow weeds now in this particular time uh, and still in Israel today you can you can see a particular field grass that looks very similar to wheat before wheat becomes ripe and it is called darnel grass and darnel grass looks identical to wheat before wheat is ripened in fact before wheat is ripened they look very similar you begin to notice the difference when they both mature when wheat matures, it becomes a golden, but even more significant, when wheat matures, it begins to bend. The head of the, the stalk the, it becomes weightier, and wheat bends. Darnel grass stays straight up. And it is somewhat of a picture, because when you think about Jesus painting this picture of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and we're going to see in a moment where the wheat, the good seed, represents here the sons of the kingdom, or believers. And the the weeds or the tares are those who are sown there by the enemy. They are people who are of just simply evil intent. They are the sons of the devil. He's going to get very specific here in the interpretation. But what's significant is that it's a picture of true believers bow in humility. But those who are standing upright in a sense of like pride, they are rebellious against God. And you can see the difference between the darnel grass and the wheat when they become mature because the wheat bows almost like it's in humble reverence. But the weeds stand straight up with pride. And Jesus here is drawing this correlation between believers and unbelievers, those who humble themselves before the Lord and those who are proud before God and reject Him. And as a result, when harvest time comes... He gives this command in the parable for his servants to first collect the weeds, tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So there is going to be this reference here to uh, judgment. That's the idea behind the weeds being burned. The wheat is gathered into God's barn. In other words, they're preserved, they're protected, they're taken into eternity. But the, the weeds... Are going to be burned, so it's it's an indication of judgment here, and he's going to spell this out uh, even further as we get as we get down. Darnell grass, by the way, it is quick to get fungus, and if you stroll through a wheat field and you you pluck the head of what you think is wheat and you get darnell grass, it's toxic and it's poisonous, and people get very sick. And so, uh, in the parable, he says, "Wait until harvest time, and then God will make the distinction." between the righteous and the unrighteous, between the wheat and the weeds. But uh, very interesting symbolism that he uses here. Things look very similar. People can can look very similar until the harvest time. And then God who judges the heart, he knows the difference. Well, he goes on here in parable number three and parable number four are are really kind of to be taken together uh, because they have similar themes And uh, parable three is the parable of the mustard seed, and parable four is the parable of the yeast. Now, as we look at these two parables together, I want you to note with me that these are not parables that indicate something lovely about the kingdom. These are parables that indicate something troubling about the kingdom. Not everything about the parables is warm and fuzzy. Some of the stuff that Jesus says here is to make us understand that there are some aspects of the kingdom that we need to be aware of. That there's sometimes an ungodly, unrighteous influence within the kingdom that we need to be particularly concerned about. And so that's the first one. Number three, the parable of the mustard seed. And so in verse 31, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. Let me read the next one also. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, there's a thing in Bible study called hermeneutics, and hermeneutics is just basically uh, how to study the Bible. And there's a rule in hermeneutics called expositional constancy. And what that simply means, it's a big phrase that simply means this, that you have to stay consistent in Scripture so that if a word or a phrase means something clearly in one place, it's not going to mean something differently in another, that there's going to be a consistency in its application and in its meaning. So as it relates to the first one here, when I mean, it talks about the kingdom of heaven like a mustard seed. And the man took it and planted it. It's the smallest of all seeds. It's a tiny little uh, black seed. It's about the size of just, you know, a pencil dot. It's tiny. And uh, Jesus says, yet when it grows, it, it's uh, the largest of the garden plants. I think you have it King James Bible. It says the largest of the, of the herbs. And he says, and it becomes a tree. All right, now stop there. A mustard seed never grows to be a tree. It might grow to be a big bush, but it never grows to be a tree with branches. So what Jesus is talking about here in this parable and in the next one related to the yeast is something is unnatural about the kingdom. Something is unnatural about the kingdom here. A mustard seed does not grow into a mustard tree. You'll never see a mustard tree. It becomes a large bush, but never a tree. So he's saying that something here is is going to get out of control, there's something here that is that is becoming a monstrosity that is unnatural, and then he hear, then he also adds here and birds come and perch in its branches. I think Mark's gospel says and and find refuge in its shade. Now, if, again, if you reread some Bible commentaries and some commentaries will say, "Well, this is a warm and inviting parable, because it talks about how the kingdom of God is beca- going to become so large and so inclusive that everybody is to just going to find refuge within the kingdom." That's not what he's saying here. Here's how we know. because when you use the tool of expositional constancy, birds are never a good thing, not in the Bible, not in terms of parables. Birds are always seen as something wicked and evil. Go back earlier in chapter 13, the first parable of the sower, and look at verse 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Now this is one of the parables that Jesus interprets. Who are the birds in the story? If you'll go to verse 19, this is where he interprets it. Well, verse 18 says, Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. So even in the same chapter, in the first parable, Jesus is making a correlation between the birds and the devil. So he's not going to then get to this parable, and now birds mean something fluffy and warm. It still is a representation of something evil. And here's basically what Jesus is saying. Parable of the mustard seed is this. There's going to be an aspect of the kingdom that becomes like a monstrosity in the sense that all kinds of people are going to be finding refuge in the shade of the kingdom, but they're not really of it. They're just there to pollute it. That's all the birds are doing in this tree. They're not a part of it. They're just there to pollute it. And Jesus is giving us a reality check about the kingdom of God. Look, not everybody, And in, in fact, this is going to touch on some of the stuff that he, that, he, that he deals with within these parables. Not everybody who says, I go to church and I'm part of the kingdom and I know God is a believer. The kingdom of God in some ways is a monstrosity where there are a lot of people attached to it that are, that are among it but not really of it. The birds represent those that there's an evil influence, there's a wicked influence that are just kind of hanging out in the kingdom, but they're not really a part of it. Now, we need to be aware of this because even Jesus said back in Matthew 7, you don't need to turn, but back in Matthew 7, uh, he talked about um, watching out for false prophets, uh, false teachers. Uh, he, he talks about in, in Matthew seven seventeen. likewise, every good tree that bears good fruit, Uh, But a bad tree bears bad fruit. Uh, He says in verse 19, Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down thrown into the fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. And then he adds this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, God's going to sort all that out in the end. We don't need to determine who are the birds in the kingdom. We don't need to determine that any more than we need to pluck the wheat from the weeds because we don't have the dexterity to do that kind of thing. God settles that at the harvest time. But he's just simply stating here that that as part of the kingdom, as it grows, There will be people who attach themselves to the kingdom who are among it, but not really of it. And the same goes here for the next thing when he talks about the kingdom of heaven like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, yeast, or leaven, if you have a King James Bible, is mentioned about 90 times throughout the Bible. The word yeast is found 13 times in the New Testament, and not a single time is it used in a good sense. Not a single time. Jesus in the Gospels warns his disciples to be on their guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of the Sadducees, the yeast of Herod, he says, which is hypocrisy. Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 8, beware of the yeast of malice and wickedness. So yeast is that thing that works within the bread. It's a living organism that works within bread to cause it to rise. And without it, you have flat bread that is, you know, when we have communion together, we take matzah bread because it is bread without yeast. And I've shared with you before that story about friendship bread. I mean, if you remember hearing me say that, friendship bread, yeah, it's really demon bread. That's what that is. But, uh, you, you know, it's when, it's when you take a little golf ball size of, of a dough and you give it to a friend and then you add yeast and you put it in Tupperware and several days go by and you burp it and you water it and you feed it and the thing grows like a chia pet in your kitchen. It's crazy. It's bizarre. And, and anyway, the time we were doing it is when Terry went into labor with, I don't know which one of our children. I came back and it exploded all over the kitchen. It was just crazy. And so yeast, yeast is a good thing if it's used properly, but then it's just, you know, it can go crazy uh, if it gets out of control. And Jesus is saying here that the kingdom of heaven is like yeast in the sense that that it can work its way, that there, there, there can be, we have to be on our guard against the yeast. There can be a, a wicked influence that tries to work its way into the church or into the kingdom of God to interrupt God's good work. Now, in the King James, it's interesting because it gives it even more detail in this parable. Jesus talks about how a woman hid the yeast In three measures of meal. The NIV leaves that part out, but it's it's an important tidbit in the King James because three measures of meal is what would be used for a grain offering. And in the book of Leviticus, a grain offering was to be brought to the Lord without yeast. Yeast is symbolic. It's a type of sin in the New Testament. And so Jesus is saying something here about the evil intent that the enemy will have to try to infiltrate Paul when he was meeting with the Ephesian elders in Miletus in the book of Acts. He said, be in your guard. He says, for even after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you to draw away disciples after themselves. There has to be an awareness that even in every church and even in in the kingdom, there will be people at work who are among it but really not of it. They, They are like the monstrosity within The mustard tree. They are like yeast working within the kingdom. So these are kind of parables of warnings. These are parables of warnings. In verse 34, Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world.
0: Find the cornerstones your connection towards your new life. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give his life to pay for the sins of every person. That includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can also hear additional messages from the series and Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection.
1: They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know